I've got bad news. And I don't expect much, if any, applause. The State of the Union is not good. Millions of Americans are out of work. Recession and inflation are eroding the money of millions more. Prices are too high and sales are too slow. This year's federal deficit will be about $30 billion. Next year's probably $45 billion. The national debt will rise to over $500 billion. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Can you imagine any United States politician, let alone the president, in any setting, let alone the State of the Union address, saying those exact same words? And they ringing true then from Gerald Ford, whether that was 1974, 5, or 6, whatever years. No, that would have been 74 to 77. And that happening now on this ridiculous television program, the entertainment political complex that is a disease to this country. Hello, it's Stone on Air. That was a sitting president of the United States saying, this place sucks. (laughs) And we did this once upon a time at the radio station at Fraud Radio years ago. And I can't remember who started it. I know I did some of the work on it going through old newscasts from YouTube. Probably around the time YouTube was becoming really, really popular. So it was first... We became close to popular from my recollection in 2006. So this was probably like 2008 or 2007, somewhere in there. And I started digging up all these old newscasts, mostly from the southeast and like from the 70s and from the 50s and from the maybe not as far back as the 50s, but 70s on anyway. And every one of them, the exact same thing. Inflation up, unemployment numbers like it's all the same. It's all relative. It's always the same problems. But that being said, he said that. Gerald Ford said that at the State of the Union somewhere between 1974 and 1977. And I guess when you've never been elected to that position or the vice presidency, which I guess I probably knew because United States presidential history has always been uh, something that has interested me since a young young student in school. But the vice presidency, I don't know as well. I I didn't realize, or if I knew it, I forgot it, that he wasn't elected uh, as a um, running mate as a vice presidency or vice president. He was appointed after uh, Agnew stepped down. I just forgot all about that. And then, of course, he lost his only time when he actually ran for president. But wow, what a a really just breath of fresh, realistic air coming from a politician, not in my lifetime, but just barely before my lifetime. Hello, everybody. How are you? I am fine. Doing all right, getting a late start here, but it is all good. It is January 19th is the first opportunity you'll have to hear this, and uh, this is a show I do every week. So I did have a little bit of a bump last week with the Bonnaroo talk, and after a week of kind of just all of a sudden this kind of like uh, rejuvenation of excitement over the announcement of the, the festival and having fun with the show last week, I kind of fell back into the doldrums 
of January. Every industry struggles in January, and real, mainly it's because of end-of-year numbers and pushes, regardless of, of what um, industry you're talking about, and just the drag of the month. And this week has been just that. I slept my life away Monday into Tuesday after a weekend of watching football and drinking and eating junk food. Felt like garbage most of the week. I feel pretty good today, um, but still, not a lot to talk about. It was kind of difficult to put together a show that really mattered all that much. So what I'm going to do again this week is just two segments. And what I'm going to do here is I've been sitting on this since Christmas or around the holiday break somewhere in the last couple months of the year. I watched this show called, or this documentary called Fake Famous on HBO. And this is one of those cases where I watch it so you don't have to. And I say that jokingly sometimes about TikTok, but this thing actually isn't that good. And I don't suggest you to watch it, but it had a lot of great information in it. It was just an hour and 40 minutes that I wouldn't suggest you waste your life on. But I'll play you cuts from it and make talking points about it. And it's overall about social media and the fraudulent nature of the whole thing. Nothing you didn't already really know, but the depths of it that you just don't really sit around and think about all that often. So that'll be the second half of the show. If we don't go an hour today, we don't go an hour today. We'll just see uh, how, how it unfolds because I don't really have anything else other than that, and that'll take some time. I'll have nine pieces of audio for you. And here on the open, I'm just going to run through some stuff. We're five minutes in now. We'll see how long it takes. It might uh, it might end up stretching, as always. I kind of ramble on. Real quick, before I get to, uh, well, I guess I'll tell you, three pieces of audio is normal. What am I calling them? The maybe he's right thing, the worst idea, and the coolest thing coming up in, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes from right now. So I got off the interstate at 4th avenue right as you get to the bottom of the ridge cut going into downtown to go to jnr liquor to get gordon's gin it's the only place in town i can find it and the only reason they have it is because the hood ain't exactly a big hot spot for gordon's gin and so i have basically sold out the whole city of this stuff it's almost literal because it is not possible to be found and so I'm going around all over the city, and they're all gone because I have drank it all over the last six months. It is not, I, I don't know where the where the production problems are, and maybe many people are discontinuing it because clearly it's not selling well if I'm the only one buying it. Well, I hadn't been to JNR, and they probably have a case in the back, and I've now almost paid, you know, sold that, bought that out too. But I got off the exit there, and panhandlers all the time. And they look the part. I mean, East 23rd, 4th Avenue, it's one of the crappiest, you know, downtrodden, saddest places in the city. I mean, I know there's a few that are probably way worse, but this one is pretty well known for how pretty crappy it is. And there's a guy panhandling, at least that I didn't think so at first. I thought, what's up with this guy? Like middle age, more than middle age, like 50 plus, maybe 60, sand, uh, salt and pepper hair. Uh, like a members only, like I'm just an old man looking kind of like overcoat, just a, a small lightweight jacket. And I'm thinking this doesn't look quite like I'm used to. Not the fact that he just because he's white, he just wasn't dressed like somebody I would normally see at this intersection. And then I pull as I pull up, I'm just kind of keeping an extra eye because it just looks out of place. Dude's turned around. He is homeless. You can tell once you get closer. He's counting his cash. <laughs> He's literally counting like in a movie style, like almost like licking his fingers. What dollar bill, 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 bill. It's just kind of like, you know, from the Kenny Rogers song. There'd be plenty of time for counting when the game is through. What are you doing? 
standing on the side, trying to, on the side of the road, in a downtrodden area of the city, trying to panhandle, and you're counting your cash almost in a, I mean, from an optical kind of look, boastfully. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I uh, didn't stop and give him money. And then that leads back to I'm seeing more and more panhandlers uh, in the East Ridge and this North and South Terrace areas more and more and more and more and more. And when I was downtown all the time, I regularly gave a little loose pocket change, a little bit of money to to panhandlers when I was walking around downtown. I don't really do it all that much when I'm driving around because I don't have any money on me. I mean, I just it's just that simple. And then there is the whole thing. Who is actually doing this because they have to? Who is you've you've seen all the old 2020 things back in the day? It was a real popular thing in the 90s to to, to try to show you how big of a scam it is. I I have always been cut from the mold that if there's somebody that is in such a bad way that they need to sit around all day or much of their day and 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 ask and borderline at you know what feels like begging at a time at times. They got a hell of a lot worse than I do, even if this is some kind of quote unquote scam. And if I had, you know, two or three bucks on me, that two or three bucks is going to do that dude or that chick a lot better today than it's going to do me. That's the small amount of humanitarian in me that um, these days it's just quite literally, I don't have any cash. That's what it comes down to. All right, so uh, let's see. Um, so I was on my quick break, a couple week break at the end of the se- at the end of the year, when that train was derailed in Collegedale, and now I work out in. I always say Udawal. It's actually Appison. So it, the train tracks run right through there. Now the 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 wreck was actually much further down, closer to getting close to the school. Um, so there was nothing, there was no activity where, where I was, but it was a big story and the traffic was really bad. So, you know, people were trying to divert all over Ottawa, Appison and Collegedale to get around it. And it was during the day. So everybody was hearing about it, but they didn't really know which direction they should or shouldn't go. So it was a little, I don't want to say chaotic, but it was uh, certainly uh, commotional around us. And then when you see the video, it's like, holy hell. Uh, but that dude was arrested. The guy who was pulling the truck or driving the truck who was pulling the trailer that had it was like a massive support beam for like think like a bridge or something like that. This huge, long concrete support beam. And um, and this dumb nut was just trying to I, I don't know if they have the little cross arms that go down, but uh, trains scare the hell out of me. And when I saw that, I was like, holy hell, this was just a simple old regular thing going on this day. And. Got to think that guy didn't really know what was going on, but then again, maybe he did. I haven't heard any head uh, 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 details about that other than the dude has been arrested, and uh, that's as far as I know about that. So I went to this place called 423 Taco on uh, Saturday, and with my brothers in town, a couple friends, that these regular day drinking, doing shots types I just can't do anymore. And I met up with them. This place is pretty darn cool. Really, Chewy is the name of the guy who runs it because I know him from, uh, or at least from being a patron at his other joint, Mexiville, over on Market Street. I think he has three locations downtown. This one's pretty impressive. Really impressive. It's over in the West Village, right across the street from uh, the uh, Weston and all those other pretty impressive places around there that I didn't even spend a lot of time there when I did spend a lot of time downtown. Very impressive. But what we did is, and it wasn't my idea, we're going to get a round of shots of tequila. Well, of course we are. I'm rolling my eyes at this terrible idea at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon to take a tequila shot. 
Well, they come out on, in these what look like to me frozen shot glasses. And there's like six of them, or however many there were of us, five or six. And now I'm like, I'm following, like, hey, come on. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, we got to go out here and throw it at the bell. Like, throw what at the bell? What the hell are y'all talking about? And I'm a little irritated because I didn't really want to be there. But I warmed up to it pretty quickly. We go outside. It's kind of cold that day, so nobody was outside. And there's this whole little indoor-outdoor area where you can hang out and drink. And during the summertime, I'm sure it's full, especially on the weekends. And you go over and you take a shot. And then there's this big, like, uh, almost barback-looking kind of decorative wood wall with these bells on one big bell in the middle and i think there's two smaller ones on the right and left of it and you take the shot and then you smash it against the bell you throw it like you're throwing a pitch or however you want to throw it underhanded whatever you want to do and i was like wait a second we're just gonna smash this glass all over the place like this can't be right no idiot these shots are just ice they're ice shots oh okay well that's kind of cool Take the shot. Each one of us take turns. Fired at the bell. I missed it. Most of us all missed it. Whatever. It shatters into tiny pieces of of ice and then no big deal. And I thought this has got to be some kind of tradition or some kind of thing that happens in uh, Mexican culture or Latino culture. And they've just grabbed it to have some fun drunken thing. And I started Google searching and I was expecting to find some kind of cool cultural thing I wasn't aware of. Doesn't appear that's the case at all. Doesn't appear that's even kind of the case. I kept getting a, the most hits from a place in Chicago where that are like they specialize in a, in a place where you go to smash your glasses on these at these bells after you take the drinks. And um, I guess it's just an Americanized Mexican Latino thing where you just a new interesting way for young dumb idiots and middle aged morons like me to have fun on the weekend. Uh, you can smoke in the Capitol again now. The new Republican Congress has made sure to make that uh, possible. You can now smoke in the building. That's that's cool. So we got one president and one administration trying to ban certain flavors of cigarettes, and then we've got another <laughs> we got another uh, political party that as soon as they get power, they make sure that it's okay that you smoke cigarettes and cigars in your offices again. That's um, good fine work by the political entertainment community um and the overall industry as it's as uh it, we continue into what is a continue to you ain't seen nothing yet territory of these mindless awful terrible people that run this country it is it is very 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 frightening really but uh, i just don't pay attention anymore and it's actually made for a much better life all right so reimagining broad street if i were to redo this show today which i wasn't going to do I would have made a separate segment only for this, but I'll do a few minutes on it here. This looks pretty cool, and it's been in the Times Free Press the last couple of days, and the editorials had a uh, two different ones that both seem to be very open to the idea. These renderings look amazing for what they're talking about doing with Broad Street. And if you really think about it, I'm talking about downtown, Broad Street is a pretty boring, dull area of town now. Market isn't a hell of a lot better, but it's the main artery. Broad is it's just kind of middle parallel. And then uh, Chestnut, which has become a much hipper place with the West Village and all that, 
and it's got some hotels on it, and it serves its purpose well. Got a couple of those old churches. But Broad itself is boring, and I can't remember the terminology they used, but it was, um, I wish I had it. I do have it, but I don't have it highlighted. They had a term they were calling it, basically just a boring-ass road with a lot of unutilized buildings and basically a lot of companies that are now no longer uh, staffing on a day-to-day basis. they got lots of people working at home. And uh, it's just not thriving. So this whole re, uh, reimagining of it looks a lot like what they've, they've got a lot of in Denver. Like, a sh- basically, they're going to shrink the road. And they're going to get rid of these ridiculous bike lanes as they are now. Not the bike lanes forever. Don't Bike people don't come at me here. But the way they're set up now are clunky. They're barely used. It collects uh, debris, litter, uh, leaves, get all stuck in, in this just stupid absolutely uninspired design that came from one of the most stupid, uninspired mayors this city's ever had, Andy Burke. It looks bad. It's not functional. It doesn't get used well. It takes up too much space. Get rid of all these huge, clunky curbs and basically kind of do what they've done with MLK and just smooth it out. We don't need these big-ass curbs. In some cases, you do because you're trying to keep big trucks from running over certain things and, and whatever the original curb design of downtown streeting was first put into effect, what, I don't know, 80 years ago or whatever that, that might have been. Uh, Denver has this in a certain pair places of their downtown, and then you use a lot of that road for mixed use, outdoor dining, kind of taking New York style where they eat out on the streets and then put it in a more sleek and uh, hip, more hipster fashion, more trees. The bike lanes are connected inside of these uh, kind of walk areas as opposed to half the time zigging and zagging in and out of, uh, of traffic, which I've still always thought bikes riding on the road with registered vehicles, licensed drivers, and unlicensed and unregistered bicycles is one of the dumbest ass ideas I've ever seen but fine, I get it. The bike people get mad at me. But this is not eliminating it. It's just reincorporating it. There's three different render- renderings. It looks really, really cool. And um, it could use some sprucing up. Now, because of the lack of, of uh, companies and offices that are full of people like Blue Cross Blue Shield and, and TVA is moving out completely here any minute now, there can it survive can it support eateries and coffee shops and those kinds of things that that area would really look good if that was if that was what was actually happening there that was the question that was posed that I saw more than not I don't know I can't answer that but the renderings looked really cool and that and Broad Street really could use a reinvention a reimagining um a, a redesign overall who pays for it how do you get it done that I can't help you with before i get to this audio here i'll do one thing oh well and i saw this too real quick sorry on um we're gonna have a mess on i-24 coming next year or the end of this year and next year they're widening out at moccasin bend of i-24 and then we've also got the um phase three coming from the 2475 split it starts any minute now too And I drive, when I travel out of the city of Chattanooga, I drive I-24 West more than any other thoroughfare. 75 north the least, 75 south the second most, I-24 West the most, and it's always bad. 
Traffic's always bad. The interstate, the road is not the the, the overall thoroughfare is not big enough. And this is the kind of stuff you got to do. You got to fix it. So everybody's going to be pissed off for the next half decade when the uh, the bend is going to be a mess all the time. And getting out of Georgia and coming into town here is going to be a mess for a long time, too. But it has to happen. And they're going to kind of be happening, not at the exact same time for the entire time, but much of the time it'll be going at the same time. And you know how many years these things take. So get ready for that. And a story I have spent very little amount of time on uh, on on this show, because and I love talking asshole Weston Womp. I, I do. I voted for the guy. I'm not exactly proud of it. But this guy loves putting himself at the center of attention, so you know people talk about him, and so it's working, because I do it. But those, this story I have not done a lot on is this fight with the county attorney. Uh, I didn't, I'm just, I'm just going on my notes that I've written to myself. It's Taylor is his last name. Is it Ruben? Or is that the guy, it was Reuben Taylor, the guy that won American Idol once. Anyway, his last name's Taylor. And so just a few notes I put to myself on this in case you're not familiar with it, which most people aren't. Jim Coppinger reappoints Taylor to be the county attorney last June that was approved by the Hamilton County Commission. On September 1st, new mayor and portions of the commission are new. So Weston Womp comes in, and I don't know. They they added two seats and probably had uh, a third turnover, maybe, maybe less than that. Then on October 14th, Weston tries to fire Taylor because of some private work that he had done on company time. I it, it, it sounds very, very petty. From the time I heard about it then to the time I hear about it now, there's not really much more to it than that. And a, a note on Taylor as a county attorney, nearly three decades there. $180,000 a year is what he has paid at nearly 30 years on the job. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Why would Weston want a longtime county attorney at 180 k out? What could be reasons that he would want him gone? Let me think. Hmm. Real, just really think about it hard. I mean, I could come up with a few things like, oh, I don't know, bogus he works on other things on company time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, oh, I don't know, maybe one of Weston's frat bros, uh, cocaine-fueled wannabe law <laughs> attorneys, wants this gig. Or maybe one of his dad, Zach's Womps, buddies from high school, or maybe one of their sons, who's a hotshot lawyer, wants this gig. Hmm, could that possibly be it? Pure conjecture on my part, no doubt. Completely conjecture. But we got courts, lawsuits, infighting within the commission, and Womp regularly trying to make some kind of headline. This is just county government, bro, and he wants it so much to be bigger and highlighted more and adversarial and... There's got to be a winner. There's got to be a loser. There's got to be an enemy. There's got to be a hero. This is American politics, and Weston Womp is so astute at it, and he's trying like hell to turn that into our county as well as far as the way that the process goes. This guy sucks. 
Why did Matt Hollander have to be such a dull, boring D-bag? And why did Sabrina Smedley, whatever her name is, have to be the Marjorie Trailer Park Green of Chattanooga and of Hamlet County? Why didn't I have somebody worth voting for that I thought that voting for West Swamp was a great idea? And the problem is, what sucks is, I still think he's the best choice. And I'm kind of happy he's there. But not really. Anyway. All right, let's get to this. Because I want to spend a minute or two on one of these. Um, we'll just start here. I don't know if this is true, but I thought it was interesting. And I don't know who this is. I didn't think it was worth even caring who it was. But I don't know if it's true, but it would be cool if it was. And I'll call it maybe it's the maybe he's right thing. Has al- is alcohol not as cool as it used to be? Alcohol's reputation is crumbling. I mean, it really is. Never has there been more alcohol-free alternatives on the market. Millennials are turning their back on alcohol like never before. 60% of Americans, according to a Nielsen study, want to reduce or stop drinking alcohol. It's no longer the cool, amazing, incredible thing that it's been for years and decades. There is a tidal wave of change that is happening now where people are choosing an alcohol-free lifestyle with greater energy and clarity and focus. I strongly believe that in Probably two decades from now, we're going to look back on alcohol with the same level of disdain that we do cigarettes. In the 40s and 50s and 60s, cigarettes were really promoted, right? It was like, oh, have this, and doctors were promoting cigarettes. Fast forward to today, and we look back on that with just absolute shock at how ridiculous we all were, thinking that cigarettes was actually good for you. That's the same way we're going to look back on alcohol, with absolute disdain. We're going to look back at this time and go, what were we thinking? I don't know if it's quite going to be like that, but it was, what, 100? years ago that coca-cola was uh, advertised as doctor approved uh, elixir as tonic as, uh, as some kind of uh, remedy for whatever it might have been at the time with doctors and pharmacies approval we all realize that's not true the cigarette thing this is why again the, the, the trust the science and trust the doctor pff, you're an idiot you trust the science and you trust the doctors really really Trust where the money goes. That's what you trust in. Find yourself a good doctor and you're a good place. But just walking around trusting what people tell you from the medical field and from the scientific field, just because that became a catchphrase a couple of years ago when we all shut down global economies over the flu. Yeah, yeah. Spare me is all I got to say there. Um, I hate Georgia football so bad, and I already knew that I did, but I am now so disgusted with this team um, or with this one player in particular. I don't care about the team. The coach is annoys the hell out of me, too. But you're probably not paying attention to this because you have no reason to. Stetson Bennett is a punk ass. If you don't know who he is, I don't have enough time to reset it. You wouldn't care anyway if you didn't know who he was. I didn't realize how smug, how arrogant, how big of a prick this dude is. And I follow base uh, um, Atlanta media very closely. I know everything about the Hawks, the Atlanta United, the Falcons, uh, Georgia football, uh, because I follow it every day. I don't like all of it, and mainly it's because I'm a big Braves fan, and I think they have a great media. They have good radio. They have good print. And this punk, at the at the uh, 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 the parade this past weekend, when he was on stage, the biggest moment, hey, the quarterback's now going to talk back-to-back champions. This is what this asshole said. This is today's worst idea. Stan, obviously, everybody knows your story. Everybody knows you came back this year. But when you look back on your career, you look back on this journey, what would be the thing you'd be most proud of as a dog? Yeah, Shaq, I don't know. Um, 
I don't know what I'm going to be most proud of. I, I, I keep trying to tell people I just did what I thought was right every day, uh, you know. And if you think you should do that, then what? Uh, I think everybody should do it, you know. Um, man, y'all burn us. Y'all burn us. Y'all kept telling us how bad we were, and y'all couldn't understand it, and, you know, and we kept winning, and, and we kept embarrassing people. But y'all had other storylines, and it was 49 to 3, and it was, you know, 65 to 7. It was everything. And y'all didn't want to believe it because you didn't. <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Yeah. Hey, but, you know, um, Screw it. We got two rings, man. You know, who, no doubt, no who, doubt. who are you talking to Stetson? First of all, he's talking to the media because he had, and, and, his, and to the fans that are critical of him because they're for two or three years in a row is what Stetson's not good enough. Stetson's not good enough. That was a narrative. That was a storyline. I get his point. But he said they're talking to a stadium full of people, the diehard dogs fans, and saying, y'all just didn't think we could do it. Nobody thought we everybody thought Georgia could win the national championship, dickhead. Everybody thought that. And into the final year, most people thought you could do it as the quarterback. Who is y'all? Who are you Who are you mad at? If you're mad at the media, go to the media and use a different platform. This is the parade of your fans and your, your legions of diehards. And you're telling them, y'all, you didn't think we could do it. We all thought you could do it. There's not a college football fan in this country that didn't think Georgia was the best team. And you're going to sit on the stage and talk like that? He will regret this one day. Yes, he's the oldest kid out there at 25 years old, but that's still a young punk. He's going to one day say, Jesus Christ, I used the last shiny moment of my life to have grievances with who? Air them out with the media and the generalized fan and, and, and not the diehards in front of him celebrating one of the greatest achievements in the history of college football. Give me a break, punk ass. Give me a break. And I'm running late. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. This one's today's... Uh, coolest thing. Imagine walking down the aisle to this Green Day song. This is a wait for it moment. Sorry, I didn't set it up more. Wait for it. About nothing and everything all at once. Melodramatic fools. Neurotic, dude. You got it by now. So that's the, uh, it's called, I didn't know this, new, new Every Day, something or other, you'd hope anyway. The Pachelbel Cannon from the, uh, they're saying maybe all the way back to 1680. And it was uh, gained popularity from orchestral uh, arrangements of it in the 1970s, and then since the 1980s has become uh, increasingly common for use in weddings and funeral ceremonies in the Western world. So it's kind of like another version of an old line, old Lang Syne, old old Lang Syne, Jesus, where it can be both for you know aloha. It's for hello and farewell, goodbye. And this 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 woman. Uh, her entire TikTok channel is her taking traditional wedding songs like that and then sneakily changing them into contemporary or at least 21st century, late 20th century music that's very recognizable. It is awesome. Absolutely 
Fantastic. So this show, or my, a movie I should call it, or it's not a movie, a documentary on HBO is called Fake Famous. They take three people and they turn them into social media influencers completely fraudulently, and it's happening all the time. I'll tell you about it, and you'll hear from it coming up next. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. Let me ask you a question. It's a question that everyone has been asked at one time or another. What do you want to be when you grow up? For decades, when researchers asked kids this, the answer was often the same. Today, kids in America say they want to be this more than any other occupation on Earth. Good morning from paradise. I'm wearing a big sweater. A famous influencer. It's understandable. Influencers lead a grand life. But is that actual fame? Is that number, that indicator of how many followers you have, how many likes you get, how many people comment on your posts, is that all real? There are over 40 million people who have over 1 million followers on Instagram. Are they all famous? There are over 100 million people who have more than 100,000 followers. Are they famous too? If they are, how can over 140 million people, the equivalent of almost half of the population of the United States, all be considered famous. To find out, we want to do an experiment to see if we can take some random people with a tiny following online and make them into famous influencers. Easy now, heavy is the head that wears a hollow crown. Little choppy of an edit there, my bad. This song has nothing to do with any relation to this segment. I just wanted to play it. Brand new from Noel Gallagher. It's called Easy Now. His stuff is so soothing. I am such a fan. I, most of my good friends know that. A lot of people know me well, don't, or don't know me real well, don't really know that. I mean, it's it's Pearl Jam. It's it's Panic. It's um, it's Oasis. It's Noel Gallagher. They're all right there at the top. And Noel by himself, it's just. Good stuff. This is only like the third time I've heard it. The new record's called Council Skies. Council, as in Council Fire, the golf course, Council Skies. You find that in June. Hopefully, there's a tour. I will go have $17 beers to watch Noel, that is for sure. So, yeah, that's the uh, the dude. I've got his name here somewhere who put this together. I'll get to it in my notes as I go into this. Uh, Nick Bilton is his name. More on who he is. But this is for real a don't waste your time with it doc. I'm happy that I that I watched it. I had time to kill over the holidays, and, and I saw it. I think it was in Rolling Stone, actually. I still look at a little Rolling Stone online and I, I use their reviews because I trust their music and TV and film reviews more than just about uh, anywhere else or at least 
that's what I've convinced myself over the years as I used to have a long, long, long time uh, subscription to the uh, magazine. Now I just try to rip it off online whenever I can. But it's on HBO Max, and because I have AT&T DirecTV Stream, which just went up $5 a month, and I really don't care for the AT&T product all that much, but it comes with quote-unquote free HBO Max. So at least there's one small little perk to having it, as HBO is a pretty good good app. I still hardly ever look at it. But I've got nine cuts from this show that I want to play and just kind of talk about how the whole film unfolds. It's done well, except it's done annoyingly because it is kind of like a uh, a reality show in itself. Like the 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 characters of the show, like they have a tryout, and again, I'm gonna get to all this here in a minute. And then they have the three finalists, and then they do everything they do, and then they show how this affects everybody. It's like a long winded hour and forty minute reality show, uh, but it still brought out a lot of information that while I pretty much knew all of it, it it, it made me think about it not necessarily in a different way, just a more um, a highlighted way, an elevated way a little bit to understand that this industry is disgustingly fake, like just pathetic. And I wonder, when I go back and think about it now, and I've thought about it over the years, uh, because I loved Instagram for a while. Instagram is a bastardized version of what that was supposed to be currently. And Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion. $1 billion like a decade ago. Did, did they see this? Are there people in Silicon Valley, are there tech people that are predictive of this kind of stuff? I mean, we out here in the southeastern good old Shaw Shucks, you know, United States, we tend to get everything way on down the road. Whatever we're finding as a as a, uh, a hip, cool thing to do at Broad Street, a reimagined street of Broad Street, that bleep was done a decade ago in uh, in Denver or or wherever in in Portland or or just name a, a place out west. Were they able to sit around and say, can you imagine this monster that we're going to build? Of course we'll give you a billion dollars. I was thinking, are you morons? A billion? How could it be even worth hundreds of millions? Clearly smarter people than me are in charge of this. So this um, doc starts off with a lot of numbers that none of us would be surprised by. But the backdrop of, of uh, of the commentary on top of it was a photo shoot of wannabe influencers taking selfies. That was like the first 10 minutes or however long was a photo shoot of people in different ways taking selfies in a studio. It almost made me want to puke just watching it because selfies are one of the dumbest things ever. Yeah, and I've done a couple myself. I know. Don't don't come at me, bro. We all want to be famous, though. We all want to be well-known. Or at least one point in our lives we did. Or at least we thought we did. Fame is such an obscure, strange thing. You can't touch it, and yet it's more powerful than almost any object on Earth. You can't see it, and yet almost everyone wants it. And whoever actually gets it has absolutely no control over it. Being famous is a little bit like being a toddler in the sense that everything you do is praised. 
So I think the desire to be famous is just a desire to be loved, just to get that sort of feeling. It used to be that somebody be famous for certain skills and talents, like acting or music or sports. And then as media expanded and needed more and more material for its 24 hours of entertainment, it opened a lot more avenues for fame. That's when we got reality TV, where you could be famous simply for being famous. And there's different levels of famous, and that that it is true that when reality TV took off, it, it did create this whole new industry of, you know, the Kardashians and all that came from you're famous for being famous. And I still think most of us deep down, I mean, it's such um, an elusive and mystical and magical seeming kind of thing, right? To quote unquote, be famous. But what does being famous even mean? Like, I think that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, which I could go into a, a, a psychiatric kind of way of looking at that uh, from another angle that has nothing to do with this at some other point. But I think we all can identify with that to a certain degree. Some of these clips will be longer than others. I don't think any of them are over 60 seconds. So who is this guy? His name is Nick uh, Bilton. He has worked at several different places uh, across the last a uh, couple of decades for different uh, media outlets as kind of like the social media beat reporter to a certain degree. Currently, he is at Vanity Fair. And um, yeah, who is Nick Bilton? For more than a decade, I was the guy who went on TV defending social media. As a reporter for the New York Times and Vanity Fair, my beat was covering the impact of technology on society. Now, as almost 4 billion people spend a collective 100 billion hours a day on sites like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, I've realized that there are vast unintended consequences to these platforms, not least of which is people's obsession with fame. Hence, this social experiment. This is the kind of guy that I would have dreamt to be a social media and cultural beat reporter 10, 15, even 20 years ago. So... From that tryout that opens this doc, they pick three obscure people. And by uh, by design, they pick the three that are void of any actual talent. Now, that doesn't mean they ha don't have potential. They just don't have anything. They don't play basketball. They're not ballerinas. They don't play the flute. Right? They're just three good-looking people, young people, two guys. One, one of them's black. One's a white homosexual, and one is a somewhat pretty young woman. Now, she's not stunning, but she is an attractive young woman. With the idea, the understanding that their point here is, is we're taking completely ordinary people, and we are going to turn them into fake celebrity-style status, what is now called in this world an influencer. I think we all pretty much know what an influencer is, but from the, the words of the documentary, documentary, Fake Famous, what is a influencer? 
People ask me all the time, like, what is an influencer? Give us a one word definition. It's really hard um, to do that. I am cited in the Merriam-Webster dictionary and the definition of influencer, so I should have a better answer. But I would say it's somebody who is half entrepreneur and half celebrity, kind of. Anyone who has access to a large following, whether it's real or fake, and they are able to promote themselves or promote brands. It has also seemed to mean not employed or person without sense of purpose. I think the term influencer has, generally has a negative connotation for whatever reason. People associate influencers with bloggers or models who aren't signed or things like that. It really is about presenting a lifestyle that people want to mimic. You're really trying to show people this is my life, and if you want to be more like me, you should follow me. Now, I am a very young Gen Xer or a very old millennial, however you want to look at it, and I have been basically living my entire adult life through social media. I'd like to feel like I've had a decent balance between the two and have always been able to distinguish real from fantasy or real from um, vanity kind of style of life between social and real life. But um, I'd be lying if I didn't envy this kind of stuff over the course of the last couple of decades, meaning people with large followings and who are have a, um, a big influence, never thought of it as a term of influencer, but had a big influence on what they did or didn't say or what they did and didn't promote. So they have taken these relatively bland people from different backgrounds and given them a complete makeover in three different areas from just, just anything you could think of, from pool, laying at the pool, vacationing, gym shots, um, Southern California living, whatever they give the each these three. They're not doing this in a concert anyway. They're all three doing it on their own with just the same backing of this guy, Nick Bilton, and his, uh, and his team. And then it turns into, this is one of the biggest things that started popping up about Nearly a decade ago, when I started kind of figuring out the phenomenon of purchasing your followers, purchasing your audience. Next up on the road to fame, we have to get these up and coming influencers more followers. So online, you don't have to go to the dark web or anything. You just go to the straight up Internet and you can pretty much buy anything you want. And right now, I'm about to buy Dom, Wiley and Chris some fake friends. One website that we've been using for this story, of course, is called Famoid, um, F-A-M-O-I-D, and I'm gonna go there right now, and I'm gonna buy Dominique 7,500 followers today for the grand price of $119.60. He'll start to see them come in in the next probably couple of hours, and it'll trickle in over the next few days. The companies do that so that they don't alert Instagrams. Uh, software that notices, you know, a huge jump. He continues to go on to talk about the entire industry of the bots from a worldwide perspective. That was pretty interesting, but I didn't have enough time really to fit it in here, and it didn't really have a lot to do exactly with what this documentary was about. The political meddling that it uh, that it had a lot of effect on in the 16 and 20 uh, elections, probably the midterms as well. Just, I mean, I don't mean like Don Trump colluded with the Russians. Who thinks that actually happened? Well, I know a lot of people who think that happens and they're crazy. But there were plenty 
of bots and a whole industry that we're trying to influence everything that happens in America. And that happens every single day and has been for a long time. Uh, this is the next clip of him showing one of the, 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 I don't remember the names of these three, but showing one of them how it works when he gets these, uh, when he purchases, purchases, excuse me, these uh, likes, these follows, these comments. That's good. Yeah, you want to see good. how this magic works? I do, yeah. Let me all see. right, so this is my Insta phone, my bots and my, burner phone. my all these different things on it. So I have this app and I can give you 25 followers right now. It might take a minute to get started. So while we're waiting, I'll show you how to do likes. So there, I just purchased you 15 likes. So you're gonna get those likes coming in. And okay. Out. I can also do comments. All I do is press a button and it will just start auto commenting. And it uses hacked accounts, it uses bots, it uses everything. Okay. And okay. so that's essentially how, how that works. And it's not just influencers. Journalists, politicians, and even A-list celebrities all purchase bots. Also local sport talk uh, hosts, program directors and talk show hosts have done the exact same thing. All walks of life are purchasing their audience on social media and have been. Locally, who am I talking about? I'm not just saying this out of suspicion or conjecture. I will for one of them. The first two I won't because I heard them talking about it about, I don't know, 2015 maybe? Yeah, Brian Joyce, host of whatever crappy show he does on talk radio now. Bill Lockhart, love you to death, Bill. Love you, love you, love you. They were discussing how they were purchasing their Twitter followers one day when a off-air uh, off mic was left on in the control room, and I was listening to them talk about Brian was telling Bill Lockhart how to purchase followers on Twitter. Is there anything <laughs> more... Un, um, uh, uh, shocked said no one that Brian Joyce, the vanity fair of the world, of the Chattanooga anyway, purchases his social media followers. I think Cowboy Joe, Joe did it too. Joe Vonner, Joe's my friend. I think Joe did it because all of a sudden one day he had 5,000 Twitter followers in 2015. But I don't know that. I don't know that. But I know that ass bag windpipe hack Brian Joyce did and one of my dearest favorite people in the world, Bill Lockhart, I no, he did as well. Now, while I'm doing that, I will quickly put my hand up and say I have done something similar. I have done something almost to that degree and about the same time frame, maybe 14, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, there was a company where eventually they were going to charge you, but they would first give you a trial where they would go in and, I mean, this stuff is fascinating how it works, and they would go in and you, you basically give them control of your account and then they would somehow start churning you out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more followers. Because there's a bunch of, this is primitive in 15 and 16. I don't know how it is now. But there was a bunch of, an industry of, of Twitter accounts that were just created that were followbacks. Hashtag team followback. If you follow me, I'll follow you. It's like a whole game of like, sounds like a, a elementary schoolyard or something. And if you give these companies who know where all these people are, these bots are, and they all follow each other, you start getting thousands and thousands of followers when really none of them are actual real people. And they start unfollowing people that don't follow you. And it, it's just, it, it's, it turns your social media into a soulless hack of a place to be. It's, there's no real interaction, there's no creativity to it. It's just a number 
that people see and then you think people are impressed by when most people don't give two bleeps about who I am or Brian Joyce or Bill Lockhart or anybody else for that matter. But I never paid for it, and I, I, I canceled it, and I moved along because I realized you ruined my damn Twitter feed. And back then I cared about stuff like that. Now, not at all. So if this is such a fake mess, why doesn't anybody try to attempt anybody from any industry, from any areas of the world, of commerce, of government, why don't they try to stop it? Why is there so little done to try and stop all this from happening? Money. Why wouldn't Instagram stop this? Because it inflates their numbers. If you think about what these companies monetize, it's engagement and user growth, and bots generate both of those. Everyone's trying to show that their Instagram strategy has great metrics. And so there's really no incentive for anyone to get rid of these bots. It starts at the top, Wall Street, where they invest so much money into these tech companies because the return on their investment is unlike any other opportunity on the entire planet. Exactly how big? Trillions and trillions of dollars big. As you can imagine, it's not really in the best interest of bankers to ask if the people on the platforms are real because the money surely is. So that was a really stupid question by me. Why doesn't anybody try and attempt to stop this? Because fraud is lucrative. Fraud is making people rich. A uh, dude goes on to talk about another further extension of what we was talking earlier with bots. These bot brokers, as he referred to them, and bot farms that are all, you know, digital versions of, of just collecting different people's identities and creating fake people in a, an entire eco, uh, electronic, digital, uh, worldwide connected uh, community of, of complete fake, of complete not real. Uh, only a couple more here and we'll wrap things up. Might get out of here a couple minutes early. Um, when you're doing the buying of all these followers and you're getting yourself so in, so deep into this, you got to keep going. You can't just kind of slow down. That's what that's what kills a social media account quicker than anything. TikTok people are learning this a lot right now. In 2020, when I first started using TikTok, still my favorite thing out there of social media, it blew up and people were exploding because it was new and it was fun and people were just really excited and 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 then but if you didn't keep up that pace people would fall off so quickly. Sean Phipps, a guy here locally, used to work for the paper. He had it um, and, and several other uh, digital uh, media outlets. He had a TikTok account. I meant to have him on. I even talked to him about it. We never got around to doing it. That blew up to hundreds of thousands of followers. And it just hit, skyrocketed one day, and then it just rock-bottomed out. And when I ran into him at the market not long ago, I, I said, hey, man, I got to get you on to talk about that explosion of TikTok. He's like, well, we can talk about that or we can talk about how the thing just falls off a cliff if you don't do it right. And I was assuming that he's talking about what I'm talking about right now. Maybe someday we'll still have that conversation. The problem with buying followers is you have to keep feeding the machine or it doesn't work. When we started this project, I thought it would be simple. I'd buy some bots, some likes, some comments, and that would be it. But once we got on this hamster wheel, it only started to go faster and faster. And before we knew it, none of us could get off. That's because the more fake accounts you buy, the more fake likes and comments you need on your posts. Before you know it, you're me, buying your quote unquote influencers all these fake interactions 
several times a day, all while hoping that you don't alert the algorithm that could kick them off the service and trying to ensure that your fake audience arrives at the exact time you post in order for everything to appear real. And I keep getting ripped off by a 14-year-old kid in Egypt who is posing as a major bot dealer. I mean, the amount of work they had to put into this, not just the, the, the filming, the staging, the editing, the directing of just the documentary itself for it to be a quality high enough to be put on a major platform like HBO. Not just that tireless work that takes amazing talent and incredible uh, amounts of focus and energy. Not that part. Take that part out. Let's forget that part even is part of this process. The, I, the, the entire exercise of what would feel like futility of doing this entire buildup of these three different people and all the purchasing and all the daily um, uh, uh, focus that has to be put on something like this, it's a monstrosity of an idea. I can't even imagine where this thing could possibly have been funded from, but it sounds, its I'm not envy of it, envy of it, I'll, I'll just put it that way. And two more here for you, what do we got here? Oh, he then after that talks about the stuff that was being sent by product by companies to these three, the two dudes and the chick, all the different things, the sunglasses and the, you know, the doing the unboxing of the oatmeal box or the, you know, the hello fresh box or just, just like daily, these things are coming in is because it gets into that orbit and that network. All these companies that are, uh, most of them are within venture capital trying to build and get sold and bought. And they're, they're, 15 seconds of fame with their companies. He's like, it's just, it was too much to handle. At one point, it turned into an absolute monster. And uh, the downside to all of this, the downside, well, there's plenty of them. But this is all stuff we all already know, but we all tend to just ignore. I think it's not possible to separate the negatives of influencer culture, viral mechanics from the technology platforms that they sit on. We keep children away from cigarettes because of the harm, and we keep them away from weapons. And yet in this realm, we have left them to the wolves. The uptick in teen suicides and depression, I think it's directly related to social media. If you're just seeking fame, if you're just seeking the attention that you see being paid in those situations, it's never going to be enough. And if any of that dips, you risk being quite destroyed by it. I, um... I did the Stone's Throw segment, the uh, little just I want to be mad about something thing. I started that in 2015 or 2016. I think it was 2016. And the audio that I pulled from it was from old shows from a, potentially even many years before that. But certainly in the past of 2016. So since we'll say at least 2014, 2015 or so, one of the clips that I have on that says... Is technology making us mentally ill? Not trying to pat myself on the back and act like I'm some kind of real smart guy, but I noticed at a very early age, at a very early time in all of this madness of social media and technology explosions, but primarily of the social media and internet version of technology, is making us terribly sick, terribly ill. All of us, every one of us, we have habits we didn't used to have. We have uh, uh, too much, what are all the words? Serotonin, blah, 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 all the things, endorphins, all the stuff in your head is going haywire. 
and our brains aren't working right anymore. And this has been happening for a long time. Can you imagine what children growing up with this and how just brain damaged, literally brain damaged, they are going to be or already have become. Oh, and then don't forget, we also took them out of school for a year because of the flu and wanted to shut down the global economy over that, that too. What a re- what a disaster. What a mess that we are in. Kind of going off on a little bit sideways here, and I'll try to rein it back in as I guess we won't get out of here early after all. Last one here. Um, even speaking of COVID and the shutting down of global, global economies over the flu, the fake stuff, the fraudulent nature of the influencers, it didn't stop. It continued. As we were about to leave for our free influencer vacation, the world came to a standstill. Stay-at-home orders were issued around the globe. And in America, city after city shut down within hours of each other. We canceled our trip, and along with the rest of America, we instantly went into quarantine as a global pandemic started to kill hundreds of thousands of people. And yet, what was so strange was when you scrolled through Instagram, all those influencers we were trying to emulate They were still posting photos of themselves as if everything was perfectly normal. They were posting pictures of themselves on the beach, even though the beaches were closed. Flights were canceled, hotels shuttered, and yet you wouldn't know it from looking at their accounts. Jeez, how how uh, unsurprising is that? And so that's it. The the final ending of the show. Again, this is a total spoiler alert, clearly. Uh, The three of the, the main dudes and the dude two dudes and chick that they made these fake profiles two of them the gay white guy and the black dude had almost complete mental breakdowns at the end of it it was like this is just too much and it's driving me you know batty and mad and um the the chickadee she seemed to like it all the way through and uh, good for her because i would too it looked awesome it really it really 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 did i can identify with people who want to do that because at one point in time I wanted to do that. Not necessarily that, that, but I wanted to be well known because of the cool stuff that I do. And at f- almost 43 years old, I don't seem to care about any of that anymore, but I still like social media and I still like uh, producing content and I still like you. I like you a lot. And I thank you for listening to the show. And that is all I got for now. I know it wasn't important. Throw away fluff stuff for the most part. We'll see. Maybe something terrible will happen and I can talk about it. No, 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 no. I actually mean that. But we'll do it again for the final time in January next week. See you later. Bye.